have to tell me twice. I'm out of here. <laughs> Praise God. Well, Father, we just thank you. We just give you glory right now in Jesus' name. We ask for your help, Lord, as we open up your word. We ask that you give us wisdom. As your word says, if anyone lacks it, to ask, and you give to them liberally. So right now, we, we receive liberal wisdom in Jesus' name. We thank you that we know what we need to know. We go the directions that we need to go. And we thank you, Father, that in all things, you are glorified. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Welcome to all you who are joining us via the internet this morning. We're so glad that you have us, you're, have tuned in with us today. And if you guys want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to go back to where we were two weeks ago on January 1st. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, where we were talking about the wise men, how they came seeking after. They saw the star in the east, and they'd come, and they'd been traveling. And I told you that one of the, the things that we often get wrong with the Christmas story is that uh, they think that it was the shepherds there coming in. They'd seen the angels they worshipped, and they came, and they found the stable where he was laid. But the wise men weren't there on that day. They were two to three years later. Jesus wasn't a baby in a manger at that time. He was a Young boy, young toddler, growing and moving and probably given as if he's anything like my three-year-olds were, uh, probably a little sass to his mother. Come on, Jesus wasn't, wasn't not a human being like you are. And just like in, in the day when uh, on, at the wedding of Cana where uh, the, his mother came to him and said, hey, we, we ran out of wine and you need to do something. And he said, woman, what does that have to do with me? And she basically said... You're going to do it anyways. Don't you give me that lip, boy. <laughs> Which means she's probably heard it before, just like you've heard it from your kids. And so he's about a two, three-year-old little boy, and these wise men come seeking. They've been traveling for a while. They've covered great distances, and they've came bringing their gifts. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, it says, And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Come on, we all know the Christmas story. We've probably heard, we've heard that before, the gifts that they brought. And we told you two weeks ago that they, those gifts were for a purpose. They were to fund their escape down into Egypt to get away from Herod. God knows how to get to you what you need when you need it to be there. Come on. And those, those wise men, they set out a long time before Jesus needed it. Come on. And you have no idea what God has been working on behind the scenes for you. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes as it seems like, God, where is it? Where is it? And we're closing doors to things that he's been preparing for a while. No, we keep the doors open. We say, God, I thank you that even right now this day you're working on things that I need a year from now. I'm always going to have what I need when I need it. I'm going to be right where I need to be with the provision that I need because you've already thought ahead. You've already seen this moment. And so years before Jesus would need it, he had already prepared what they needed and he sent some wise men on their way. And we often say it was three wise men because there was three gifts, but it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say there was only three of them. They probably set out with a whole company of people And they came seeking a king That's what they told Herod We've come seeking him who has been born king of the Jews And that was news to Herod 
He didn't know that was going on. He hadn't been looking. He hadn't been watching. And the nation of Israel, who knew the prophecies, who knew the promises, missed all of the signs. And I think the body of Christ is no different today. There's things that God's showing and he's speaking and he's preparing that most of the body of Christ is just, woof, they've completely missed it. But the, the, the wise men, they were looking and they saw. And Jesus said, seek and you will find. When you have a heart that's after him and you're seeking after him, you will find his things. But the three gifts had a purpose, and that purpose was to fund their escape down into Egypt. And But we told you that they weren't just for natural purpose, they actually had symbolism in them as well. Whereas the frankincense was speaking of the deity of Jesus. He was fully God and yet fully man. And that's an important part that we need to point out about Jesus, is he was fully man. Because sometimes we look at what he did and we go, oh, but that was Jesus. No, he's the firstborn among the brethren. He may have been first, but there's been many that have come behind him. And you're one of them. And so don't say, oh, that was Jesus. Because Jesus himself said, the works that I do, you'll do, and greater. And so we can't limit ourselves thinking, oh, Jesus is just so much better than I. Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And what he did on this earth, he did as a man, empowered by the Holy Spirit, just like you. And so the frankincense was speaking of his deity, and the myrrh was speaking of the death of which he was to die. But the gold, the gold was speaking of the kingship of Jesus. And that's what I'd like to speak on this morning. The kingship of Jesus and the kingdom of God. We have to acknowledge and put it first in our lives that Jesus is the king. And what the king commands, the king gets. Come on. Oh, that, that went over like a lead balloon. Because we've been taught in society that oh, I'm the master of my own destiny and whatever I want. You know, I'm trying to build my kingdom. No, you're part of his kingdom of which he is the king. Jesus is the king of all kings. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. And you can either do it now or you can do it later, but you will do it. And trust me, the rewards of doing it now are much greater than later. And so I want to talk about the kingship of Jesus. He is king. As Daniel prophesied in Daniel 7, says, I was watching in the night visions, which I think that's an interesting statement. And we'll just take a side journey here for a second. You interested in a side journey? Da Daniel recognized how God led him. And we see through his life, God kept sending him dreams. Dreams to interpret, dreams to speak out, and dreams to write down. And those dreams have become a lot of the prophecies that we see in the book of Daniel. And he recognized that that's how God was leading him. And so he said, I was watching in the night visions. He recognized that when he laid his head down, that's the time that God spoke to him. And so he honored that, made time for it, and he didn't just say, well, I was sleeping, I had a dream. No, he recognized that when God speaks to me, he speaks to me through dreams. And sometimes you need to pull, pull things into perspective. How does God speak to me? 
right? How does God speak to me? And honor that, make time for that, and make room for that. Okay, that's a side journey. It says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and then to him was given dominion, was given glory, and a kingdom. This is a vision that Daniel is having way years and years ahead of him where he's seeing Jesus being declared king. And he was given dominion, he was given glory, and a kingdom. David, speaking of that kingdom, said this in Psalm 45, 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Meaning what was established in the work of Jesus, will never end. And so if it was true of when Jesus made it happen, it's true now. He's ruling over his kingdom. And it says a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You always need to view yourself through righteousness because it is the scepter of the kingdom. It's not about what you've done, how good you've been. It says that he who knew no sin became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so you don't approach the throne of God and the kingdom of God on your own merits. You approach it on the merits of Jesus who has declared you righteous. The moment you believe, you stepped out of one kingdom and into another. And so when we say that, we have to stop giving so much focus to the natural kingdom that we were born into. These natural things, these natural countries, these natural governments, you need to give just as much and more effort and focus to the kingdom of God because it's the one that mattered. And his throne is forever and ever. It's the one that will endure. And a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. In John chapter 3, Jesus had a visit from Nicodemus, who came at night because he didn't want anybody to know that he was coming to talk to Jesus, because that would have got him ostracized from his own people. And so he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, you must be born again. And he says to Jesus back, he's like, how can I do that? Can I, now that I'm old, get back in my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, no, you must be born of the water and you must be born of the spirit. He means he's not talking about a natural birth. There's a second birth that is more important. And Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that's why when you speak about some of the things that we hear in the Bible to people who are unbelievers, and they're like, you're crazy. You're mad. Because unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. There's some things that will only make sense when you've made that leap out of this natural kingdom into his spiritual kingdom that is forevermore. As Paul said, the things of God are foolishness to those who are perishing. And so sometimes when you'll be talking to people and you'll be sharing God, they'll be like, ah, oh, no, 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 you're crazy. That's nuts. That's not how it is. That's okay. They don't have belief yet. What you do, what you do, you want to know what you do when someone has an attitude like that? You say, Holy Spirit, work on them. Come on. 
Holy Spirit, I ask you again to go poke and prod their heart. I ask you to send laborers across their path to plant seed in their heart. Paul said that there's times where he sowed seed and Apollos watered. Sometimes we're too focused on transactional relationships. I need to say this so that they'll do this. No, you need to sow into people. Love on people. And let the Holy Spirit loose on them. And so Jesus said, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And when we were born again, there was a transformation and a change from our natural kingdom. We may be Canadians here on this earth, but when you stepped over here, you are children, sons and daughters of Almighty God. And so back to Daniel 7. It says, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people... And all nations and all languages should serve him. All peoples, all nations, and languages should serve him. All nations, including this one. Come on. Including this one should serve him. And as we bow our knee to Jesus, so should the others in this nation. This is a nation that's been dedicated to God. And a lot has made, uh, made a, a big deal about, you know, America being founded on Christian principles. And people gloss right over Canada and its founding. And you know that what is said in, in our founding? That he shall have dominion from sea to sea. He shall have dominion from sea to sea. There is a kingdom greater than this kingdom, and there's been things spoken and prophesied over this nation, and they shall come to pass. Maybe we should have a little bit of a history lesson. In 1867, with the passing of the British North America Act, they were writing down, okay, what guidelines Canada was going to be abiding by and how much power they would have and how much power Britain would have over them. And a Canadian delegation was sent from here over to London while they were working out those. And like, what are we even going to call Canada? And the two, the two uh, suggestions that were gaining the most traction was the Kingdom of Canada, and the second one was the Republic of Canada. And while they were debating which ones it should be, and um, in the morning, one of their delegation was a man named Sir Samuel Tilly, and he was the newly appointed premier of New Brunswick. And he was a devout Christian, and every morning he would get up, he would read his Bible, and he would pray before he ever went to talk about politics. And as he was reading in the morning, he came across Psalm 72. And when he got to verse 8, it says, talking of the righteous king, he shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as he read it, it went off inside him. We are a dominion under the dominion of God. And so he went in that morning. And he said, hey, I know we've been talking about the kingdom and we've been talking about the republic, but I suggest that it should be the dominion 
of Canada. And they said, hey, you know what? That sounds like a really good idea. So they took it to the British prime minister, and they said, we want to call it the Dominion of Canada. And he said, I think that's a great name. And they took it to the queen, and they told her, and she said, I think it will be a great name. And it was declared that we shall be the Dominion of Canada, and that he shall have dominion from sea to sea. And as I told you two weeks ago, just because the government may have forgotten, and just because politicians may have forgotten, he shall still have dominion from sea to sea. And I'm calling on us as a church and spread it to every Christian that you know. Start declaring that again. He shall have dominion from sea to sea. For it's not the government that determines our direction. It is not the politicians, but it is the people. And we need to be reminded that he shall have dominion from sea to sea. And for him to have dominion from sea to sea, let's let it first be, Lord, have dominion in me. He shall have dominion from sea to sea. And when 1921 came around and we were putting together the coat of arms for Canada, they thought no better thing to put on it than from sea to sea as a reminder of the promise and the prophecy over Canada. Following it down to 1965 as they were working on a flag for our nation. The number one, the one that uh, Lester B. Pearson liked was one that had blue on either side. We have red today, right? His, the one that he liked was blue to represent the sea on one side and the sea on the other and the dominion that God should have in between. And sometimes we forget history, and that's okay. I don't need to forget it. I can remind myself. I can stir up that he shall have dominion in me. And there are great things ahead for us. But Psalm 72, 8 is where that came from. And I want to spend some time in there this morning because Psalm 72 is the psalm of a, what a righteous king looks like. And it's interesting because do you know who wrote Psalm 72? King Solomon. And I believe that when he sat down to write that day, maybe it was in the morning, maybe it was in the evening, I don't know when he was writing, I think he sat down to write about himself. Solomon was a little vain. He liked all the gold, he liked all the glitter, he liked all the girls. He was a little bit high on himself, and it ended up being his downfall. And I believe that day, he sat down to write about himself as the righteous king, but as he began to put pen to paper, the Holy Spirit began to move, and he began to write about the real righteous king. And it says, give the king your judgments, O God. Basically, he's asking, give me wisdom. And he says, and your righteousness to the king's son. Who was he talking about? Himself. He was the son of King David. Give your wisdom to me, O God, and your righteousness. And he says, he will judge your people with righteousness. And that's what a righteous king does. He judges with righteousness, which is why Jesus has imparted righteousness to his sons and daughters. Judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people, and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor. Come on. He will bring justice to the poor. 
You know, there's so many people in our day talking about how unfair our system is. That's because you're looking in the wrong place. The government's not there to solve your problems. You've got a righteous king who will bring justice to the people. And it says he will save the children of the needy, and he will break in pieces the oppressor. It says they shall fear you as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. And I think it's about this time Solomon's realizing I'm not writing about myself because I'm not going to be here as long as the sun. I'm not going to be here as long as the moon. I'm not going to be here as long all generations. And his tone begins to change and his focus starts talking about the real king. It says he shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing. Another translation says that he shall come and he shall be a refreshing like the rain. That's exactly what the world saw when Jesus ascent, came down out of heaven, became a baby, walked this earth as a man, and they found refreshing in the work of the cross. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing and like showers that water the earth. And in his days, righteous shall flurry. Come on, flourish. The righteous shall flourish. Come on, if you want to say something about what's going on in your life today, go ahead and say, I, the righteous, shall flourish. Come on. I can't believe what some people say about themselves. What good Christians say about themselves. No, I'm not going under. I'm not going down. I'm not going to be defeated. The righteous shall flourish and an abundance of peace. Woo. When Jesus is the king of your life, the righteous flourish and there's an abundance of peace. Until the moon is no more and he shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Just for the sake of time, let's drop down to verse 17. It says, his name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him, and all nations shall call him blessed, including this one shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Oh, come on. I, you have to understand the significance of that ending. Amen and amen. One would have been enough. Amen means so be it. But he put a double seal on it. He said, amen, I declare it. Let it be forever so no one can touch it. Come on, one amen would have been enough, but he declared it doubly with a double blessing. And so Jesus came to declare and to establish the kingdom of God. And that demands a shift in our thinking that if he came to establish the kingdom of God and I have become a part of the kingdom of God, I need to give it the honor that it is due. Even in the, the heralding of his birth, when the angel Gabriel showed up to Mary, in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, it says, And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there 
will be no end. We can look to Isaiah prophesying about the same thing. He said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Let's stop there for a second. The government will be on his shoulders, not your shoulders, let alone your back. Come on. They may try. They may push. They may try to get their way, but the government's on his shoulders, not on yours. You're under his kingdom, not theirs. What he says, that's what goes. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. You know, judgment isn't a bad thing. If you show up before the judge and you're innocent and you have the evidence, judgment's a good thing. When you've been declared pardoned, you've been declared acquitted of the charges. And so the enemy can bring whatever he wants against you, but Jesus is the one who gives the judgment. And so Jesus came to declare and establish the kingdom of God. And so that's why we see at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Mark chapter 1, says, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel or turn to the kingdom. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus being questioned by the Pharisees, he says this to them. That now when he asked, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here and see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And this is something that his own disciples didn't get right. After he had raised from the dead and they, they were... To questioning him right before he's about to ascend. They said, is this now the time that you're going to sit on the throne of Israel and you're going to restore all things? And he said, it's not for you guys to know the time. He says, but look for the Holy Spirit. Look for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so as we're looking for natural kingdoms to be established, don't miss the spiritual one that's already there on the inside of you. Everything God has to offer when you became a Christian is already in you. All you ever need is already in you. So what, what do we do then? Let's look to creation for a moment. When God created this earth, he created a planet, but he planted a garden. He created the planet, and then he planted a garden. A paradise. Is that not how it was? And what did he do? He put Adam in the garden to tend it and to keep it. And he said, here, I've given you every seed that you will ever need. We often miss what he was telling to Adam there. What do you want to see more of? Come on. What do you want to see more of? 
I've given you all the seeds you'll ever need for all the trees, for all the plants and herbs. What do you want to see more of? What was the garden? The garden was God's example. And he was saying, Adam, take the rest of the earth and do what you want with it. Take those seeds and plant them. The kingdom of God has been planted into you. Take the seeds of the kingdom and plant them in every corner of your life. Plant it in your job. Plant it in your family. Plant it in your finances. Plant it in your morning times. Plant it in your evening times. Plant the kingdom of God wherever you go. Give it focus and you will see what will begin to flourish and grow within your life. And he said, the kingdom of God's within you. And you can't go see here and see there. But in Mark 4, it says, and he said to them, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. That he should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should come and sprout and grow, and he himself doesn't know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that full grain and the head. But when the grain ripens immediately, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Meaning you sow it in your life. You cannot make it grow. Just like a farmer, he puts the seed in the ground and what does he do? He believes that there's going to be a harvest. He watches over it, he tends it, he protects it, but he can't make it grow. But the more you plant the kingdom of God in areas of your life, God will watch over the growth. He's faithful to it. He continued on, he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, that when it's sown in the ground, is smaller than all the seeds of the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up, and it becomes greater than all the herbs, and it shoots out large branches so that the birds may rest, may nest under its shade. Why does it matter that we understand that the, the kingdom of God, that we've stepped into the kingdom of God? Well, for one, every kingdom has laws. Now, immediately when I said that, here's what I, everybody began to think. Well, yeah, that's right. You can only drive so fast. I can't, I can't steal my neighbor's stuff. I can't shoot my neighbor. You know, all of those things, those are good laws, but those aren't the laws I'm talking about. And religion has conditioned us to think about all the laws of don't do this, don't do that. But there are different laws that we don't often take into consideration. What about the laws of the animal kingdom? Every day, prey wakes up and knows, I need to eat and I need to run fast or I'm going to die, Right? The predator wakes up and says, I need to run as fast as I can and hunt and so I can eat or I die. Those are laws that go govern that kingdom. We also have other laws that govern our, thing, our, nation, our world, and that's the laws of nature. There's gravity, there's motion, there's lift, and there's thrust. And sometimes you can think, okay, what is gravity? Gravity is that thing you jump off the roof of your house, you fall, Right? It pulls you down. And we often think of the negative implications of gravity, but what are the positive ones? It keeps you from flo floating off this ball that we live on, right? And so not all laws are negative or restricting things. Some of them are there for your benefit. Yeah. 
And when you understand the laws of the kingdom, just like when you understand the laws of this world, you can use them for your benefit. What's an example of that? Yes, I can drop a rock and it's going to hit the ground, but if I strap a motor on it and put some wings on it and use the laws of lift and thrust, I can fly. And when you understand the laws of the kingdom that have been put in place for your benefit, it's not meant to restrict you. It's meant to give you flight. It's meant for you to take off and to go places you never thought were possible or even physically possible with this world. But last time I checked, there's laws of physics and laws of gravity, and Jesus walked on the water anyways. And so the laws of the kingdom are not there to restrict you. They're there to lift you up. They're there to give you purpose. They're to give you, take you to places that you could not do in this old earth bag that we call a body. And so we don't let ourselves be limited by laws. The laws of the kingdom are there to guarantee your righteousness, your success, your freedom. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the laws of sin and death. And so today was just laying some foundation of the kingdom. And next week we're going to get into the laws of the kingdom. Come on, we have the law of the spirit of life that's mentioned here. Life, the spirit of life is not just a suggestion, it is a law. And so I hope I just piqued your interest as to what are God's God's laws. Because I guarantee you, most Christians get them wrong. What are God's laws? God's laws are meant to see you rise. Amen? Amen. Pastor Robin, you're up. Hi, my name is Robin. I was meant to fly. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Glory. It's offering time. I, um, I want to go to some scripture in Galatians. And, uh, yep. And so verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season, and in due season, this word is a word, it's kairos, is a word. And it means this, the appointed time in the purpose of God, a time when God acts. That's just a portion of what it means. It means a lot more. Obviously, the the English language doesn't cover things like like the Greek and the Hebrew do. Uh, But anyway, that's part of it there. So I want you to understand the fact that when you're giving you're giving God opportunity to act, okay, in your giving. And so, well, let's read it this way then. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in the appointed time and the purpose of God, a time when God acts, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Okay, now verse 10 says this. says, therefore, as we have opportunity. Now, opportunity, is again, is the word kairos. And it's, so let's read it this way. Therefore, as we have the appointed time and the purpose of God, a time when God acts, let us do good to all, especially those who have the household of faith. So what I'm saying is you're getting God involved in your finances and in your giving. 
and in your offering. And so you, what you're doing is you're provoking God to say, do what he says he's going to do here, and he will act. Amen? Amen? I've lived this all my life, all, the, all my Christian life. I learned to give, you know, years and years ago. And so, you know, basically what happens is when I allow God the opportunity to act in my giving, then what comes back is exceedingly abundantly above all can I can ask or think. And that's basically the living in the kingdom of God. It's the law of giving. Amen? Because, you know, we're, we're not tied to the laws of the Old Testament. Uh, uh, so, you know, we uh, don't have to give. We get to give. So as we have the opportunity, which we're offering to you today, an opportunity to give and have God act in your behalf, you can do that. Amen? Amen. So you can give by wordchurch.ca backwards slash give, or you can, there's a basket in the back there, the envelopes in the seats. And uh, we trust you were blessed today. Amen. Amen. I'm excited about this, this series. I mean, you could go three months, four months on a series like this about the kingdom of God because it's so vast. There's so much there for us in the kingdom of God. And he said back 2,000 years ago, the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen. We're in it. We're in it. We're a part of it. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Okay, we have the Word Care team. It's going uh, to be up here shortly. So if you need any prayer, if you're in ministry or anything, come on up. Uh, Toph and Jess will be up here in just shortly, okay? Amen? Be blessed.